This evening we uh, come to hear from God's Word, and uh, we're going to continue our series in the book of Daniel. We're in chapter 10, so if you uh, grab a Bible, it's under your seat. You can follow along in your Bible, it's page 888. We even give you the page number. And I'll read the whole chapter, and then we'll ask God uh, for understanding as we Come to his word. This is the word of the Lord. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict, a war. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for three full weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river that is the Tigris. I lifted my eyes and I looked and behold... A man was clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist, his body like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his voice like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed. In other words, his face turned deathly pale, and he retained no strength. And I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words I speak to you. Stand upright, for I've been sent to you. And when he spoke this word to me, I stood up trembling. And he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and you humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and I was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. And I said to him who stood before me, O Lord, by reason of this vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. And again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. He said this, O man greatly loved, fear not. 
Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. He spoke to me. I was strengthened and I said, Lord, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except against these except Michael, your prince. This is the word of the Lord. And let's just uh, come to him, come to God and ask for his help in understanding uh, his word. Let's pray. Our Father, we... Um, thank you for this portion of the Bible and uh, the comfort and challenge that it extends to us. Lord, may we see Jesus tonight. May we see him and the, the, the hope and the comfort that he offers us. May we see him uh, in his glory, high and lifted up, that we might worship him, and may we see him that we might be challenged by his words. And so, Lord, give us understanding, and Lord, give me clarity as I preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Thursday, I had the chance to go uh, hiking with a few friends of mine. I was, I kind of went under false pretenses. My friend told me that this would be the easiest hike that I've ever gone on in my life. And I asked him, I said, you know, will there be any scrambling? Will there be any rock climbing? I'm not into rock climbing. I just want to go on a nice hike. He said, you'll be fine. It's not that bad. So trusting him, I hiked with him about 15 minutes up the trail, and the hike went vertical. And there was this cliff face in front of me. And my palms were set, sweaty, my knees weak, my arms were heavy, and the world was spinning around me, and I had to say, yeah, I'm out, I, I can't do this. I was gripped by fear. We all have fears. I have a fear of heights. You may have a fear of uh, claustrophobia or something else. Fear grips us. I have friends uh, who, they won't come visit me in Australia because they are afraid of snakes and spiders, and then I remind them that they have bears, mountain lions, and wolves in their country, so it makes very little sense. But fear does grip us, and it's gripped us these past two years during the coronavirus. Uh, the world has feared illness. Um, in my early days of preaching, fear gripped me every time I'd come to the pulpit. Uh, when I went to speak in front of a, a crowd, fear grips us. And when we come to this text tonight, we see that fear gripped Daniel. And that's uh, the first point I want to make tonight. We, we just read that Daniel had a vision of the future. And this vision uh, was given to him by God, and it describes, and in this vision, uh, God describes a great war that was coming. Now, this great war and this vision that he sees, it's actually described in chapters 11 and 12. We just don't have the time to cover three chapters tonight, so I'll leave chapters 11 and 12 for another week. But Daniel has had this vision of a great war, a catastrophe, and he is anxious and distressed by what he saw. In fact, we read in verse 2 that he's, he's so distressed that he doesn't eat, 
Uh, he's he's um, perhaps he he's fasting because of the vision. He doesn't shower. He doesn't anoint himself uh, daily. That's in verse 2. He's anxious. He's distressed. He might be fasting or grieving. And it also happens to be one of the most wonderful times of the year. You know, in the Western calendar, the most wonderful time of the year is December 25th, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. But in the Jewish calendar, the most wonderful time of the year was the Passover. We read uh, that, it's the, uh, that it's the first month of the year, the 24th day. And Passover would have been celebrated around this time. And Daniel is, is so disturbed by this vision of war, and he's so distressed that he, he's not celebrating the Passover. And there's, it's probably also because um, though the Jews have returned from exile, um, they hadn't yet built the temple. So there was no Passover celebration that year. Look at verse 4. Where is he? He's standing on the banks of the Tigris River. This uh, Tigris River was this massive river that flowed through the city of Babylon, kind of like how the Yara River flows through the city of Melvin. And he was standing in Babylon on the banks of the Tigris, and he looks up, and what does he see? A man. Not an ordinary man. This man had blazing eyes of fire, He's wearing uh, white robes. He's wearing the, the kind of robes that the high priest would wear in the Jewish temple. He's uh, around his waist. He has this golden sash. We read that his body was like beryl. What is beryl? It's uh, a precious stone. It's the color of emerald. His appearance was like lightning. His arms and legs like bronze. And his voice sounded like a multitude of people. So this, this isn't an ordinary man, and this isn't an ordinary vision. And he's been given this terrifying vision by this man of a coming war. And, and, and we read that, uh, that this mystery man, I'll tell you who he is in a minute, also terrifies him. Now, uh, there's been a lot of debate about who this, the identity of this man, but I think the Bible can help us understand the identity of this man. Let's look at Revelation chapter 1. And I think Gerald mentioned this a few weeks ago in his sermon. And look at uh, verse 13, Revelation 1. The Apostle John, thousands of years later, has a vision of a man. And this vision of a man is just like the vision that Daniel had. If you look at verse 13, you see that this man, just like the man in Daniel's vision, was also wearing white robes. He was also, around his waist, was also wrapped a golden sash. Verse 14 tells us that he has the same eyes, eyes that are blazing like fire. Verse 15 tells us he has the same feet, feet that are burnished bronze. Verse 16 tells us that he has a similar voice. Uh, here it says a voice like rushing water. And then his identity is revealed in verse 18. He reveals himself as the living one who was dead but now is alive. John had a vision of Jesus. And Daniel 
also had a vision of Jesus. Jesus, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, is meeting Daniel here uh, before his birth into this world. Now, when you think of Jesus, what do you typically think of? Do you think of the baby in a manger? Or do you think of uh, the boy in a temple? Or do you think of the man who was walking on water? The one who healed the blind? Perhaps you think of the man who was on the cross. But we see Jesus here, or I should say the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, from a different perspective in the book of Daniel. We see Almighty God here. The same God who heated the the sun to 15,000 degrees Celsius who placed the earth 150 million kilometers away from that sun so that we here in Victoria can enjoy a balmy 15-degree day. In the Gospels, we see Christ as gentle and lowly. We read about Jesus the carpenter. We read about Jesus the man who uh, walked on water, who healed the blind. Uh, We read about Jesus who was at times hungry and thirsty. But here... Daniel sees Christ, the Son of God, high and holy, eyes of fire, bright as lightning, body of stone and bronze. And and it should just, you know, this, this vision of Jesus should get us thinking about who Jesus is. You know, Jesus isn't your, your, your mate. He's not your pal. He's not your buddy. This is the Son of God who we worship every week, who demands our honor and our respect. And this vision of Christ terrified Daniel. And it terrified all those who were around him, even though Daniel was the only one who was standing on the banks of the river. Uh, Sorry, even though Daniel was the only one who saw the vision on the banks of the river, everyone else who was with him experienced and felt this sense of dread and fear and terror. Verse 7 tells us that. A great trembling fell upon the people who were with him. And we see that Daniel is so gripped by fear that, that there's a physical effect on his body. And often when we get scared, when we're fearful, sometimes we feel the physiological effect of that, of that fear, don't we? I mean, when I was standing before that cliff face, my, like I said, my hands were sweaty. My knees started knocking. I started feeling dizzy. And um, we see this, that Daniel, terrified by, by the vision and terrified by this vision of Christ, there's a physical effect on him. His, his, uh, his face turns pale, we read. His body starts reacting. He he loses all strength. He collapses, verse 8 tells us. Fear gripped Daniel. And there's a second point I want to make tonight. As quickly as that fear had gripped Daniel, so also Christ, Jesus, gripped Daniel. We see that Christ grips Daniel three times in this passage. The first time is in verse 10. Behold, says Daniel, a hand touched me, the Son of God, blazing eyes, blinding body, bronze feet, reaches out to Daniel and grips him. And as 
the hands of the Son of God grip him. We see that he says several things to him. First, he says in verse 11, he says, you are greatly loved. You know, though Daniel is gripped by fear, he's also gripped by the love of God. In chapter 11, God reveals a series of future events, a great war, the rise and fall of empires, an evil tyrannical king, demons, another invasion of Jerusalem. And, and all of these events gripped Daniel with fear. And current events grip us with fear too. Oh, we fear war just like Daniel feared war. Fear grips us. The fear of disease grips us. It paralyzes us. The fear of uh, political instability grips us. Some of us are afraid of losing control. Some of us are afraid of losing our money. We're afraid that we might lose our comfortable life. We, we fear death. I mean, you, you probably, that you could tell me the things that cause you fear and anxiety. But God reminded Daniel here, and he reminds us this evening, that his love conquers that fear. Perfect love casts out fear, First John says. What is fear? It's an emotion. It, it usually overcomes us when we're about to lose something that we love. I'm afraid of heights because I'm anxious that I might fall and lose my life. Um, I'm afraid of public speaking because I'm anxious that I might say something foolish and people will think less of me. I'm afraid of sickness because I'm anxious that I might get sick and I might die, or I might get someone I love sick and they might die. And so fear paralyzes us. Sean Lucas, a professor at RTS, once said, we are afraid the cry of Job will become our own. The thing, Job said this, the thing that I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. And we are afraid that we might be crushed, abandoned, and alone, exposed to be exactly what we are, with resources, without ability, and without hope. I think he's right. We've all been gripped by fear before. But the good news is that even if these things that threaten us or harm us or, or kill us, these things can never rip us away from God's love. In the midst of Daniel's fear, God, the Son of God, appears to Daniel and tells him, you are greatly loved. Not even that vision of war can rip me, rip you from, from the love that I have for you. That's why Paul in Romans 8 says, No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor things present nor things to come, nor any other powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No, not even your fears can separate you from God's love. And so even when we are spiraling or, you know, the world around you is spiraling or spinning around you and your anxieties start overwhelming you, you can remember as a Christian 
as a child of God, that you are loved of God. And not even your greatest anxiety can rip you from that love. Uh, Because of God's love, whatever you are going through, those things will pass and God will bring you through those things. Now notice the second thing that the Son of God says to Daniel in verse 11. He says, fear not. Now, have you ever had anyone say that to you? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. You know, that helps a lot. <laughs> you know, if it's, uh, I hate it when people say that to me. If, if I could stop being afraid, I would stop being afraid because it's an unpleasant feeling. No one likes being afraid. And I think too often uh, we read the Bible out of context. And we do it with this verse quite often. We use this verse We give this verse to people as we might give them a pill. You're scared. Okay, fear not. The Bible says fear not. Stop fearing. But we need to understand that this particular verse, attached to it is a promise. And that promise is that God is with us. And so we cannot read this command without reading that promise. Why should we fear not? Because God is with us. For example, when the leader of Israel, Joshua, leads the Israelites uh, into the promised land and opposes the armies that threaten to attack the Israelites, Joshua says to them, fear not. Why? For God is with you. It's a command, but there's also a promise attached to that command. God is with you, so fear not. He's not saying to the Israelites, you know, stop your crying and be brave. He's telling them, He's not telling them that their emotions and their anxieties are illegitimate. Joshua is saying to them, if you are feeling fearful, just remember that there is a God who is greater than your fears, and He is with you. There's another example in Scripture. We all know of the young woman, a virgin, and she discovers that she's pregnant. And she's never been with a man. And she's told by an angel that she will miraculously bear the Christ child. But she's afraid. Why? Perhaps because people won't believe her. It might end her engagement with Joseph. It would, the news of, of her pregnancy might leave her as a social outcast. But the angel says to her, fear not, for you are favored By God, see, there's a command with a promise. God is gracious to you, therefore, fear not. This command is not telling us to stop feeling afraid. It's saying that when we are afraid, when we are experiencing that fear, that that we have a God that we can look to. Stop looking at your fears and start looking at the one who delivers us from our fear, because our help comes from Him. Now, notice there's also a third statement that that the Son of God says to Daniel in verse 12. Look at verse 12 again. He says, I've heard your prayers. I've heard your prayers. Now, um, the founding fathers of the U.S., uh, most of them subscribe to a belief called deism. And basically, deism teaches that God created the world, he turned the lights on, and he set the world in motion, 
And then from there on, he took a back seat. He has nothing else to do with it. He doesn't involve himself in the world that he's created. And a lot of people in our society think this way. Like, they, they might believe in a God, but they, they don't believe that he cares about the world that he's created, and he really doesn't care about us. And what we see here in the, the book of Daniel is a God who is personal, a God who involves himself as a father. He is a God who steps in, who intervenes, who stoops down to our level by sending his son into the world. God himself walks the same ground that we've walked. He communicates to us in our own language, and he listens to us when we speak to him. And so, the Son of God appears to Daniel and says to him, I'm listening to you when you speak to me. I've heard your prayers, and I'm going to respond to them. Now, that doesn't mean that, that when Daniel prays, God is going to give him everything that his heart desires. And prayer, certainly that's not how prayer works. You know, it's not like I pray, I ask God of something, and then God gives me everything that I ever wanted and desired. I'm sure there were millions of Sydney fans last night who were praying for a win. Too bad, so sad. Because God is not a genie. He doesn't grant us our deepest desires. But He is a God who hears us. And He answers us. And though He might not always give us exactly what we want, He gives us what He deems is best. So, now apply this to this, this theme of fear. When it comes to our fears, uh, the fear of being alone, the fear of not having enough to survive, the fear of sickness, the fear of death, we can take those fear, fears to God in prayer. We can honestly confess to Him whatever it is that scares us, scares us. And we can, we can speak to Him, frankly, and He hears us. Isn't that what King David did? Think of Psalm 56. In Psalm 56, King David has a pretty good reason to be afraid. He's being stalked by soldiers that want to kill him. And in this psalm, he lists out his fears to God. He says, God, my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long, they attack me. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. And then Daniel after giving God all of those fears in prayer, he says, Lord, today I am afraid, but I will trust in you. So, God has heard his prayers, Daniel's prayers. He has said, you are greatly loved. He has said, fear not. He has said, I have heard your prayers. Now look at verse 20. and I'm paraphrasing verse 20 here. Paraphrasing verse 20, he says, I'm fighting for you. And I'm fighting against your enemies. And um, as we read the Old Testament, uh, we read countless examples and true stories of a God who fights for his people and on behalf of his people. From the very beginning of the Bible, we see God uh, fighting for his people against their enemies. In Exodus, we see God fighting for his people against Pharaoh. 
Then in Joshua and Judges, we see God fighting for his people against the Philistines, and then against the Amalekites, and then against the Edomites. And over the course of his life, uh, when we get to the book of Daniel, Daniel has watched God fight his enemies, fight the Babylonians. You remember the Babylonians took power and then they lost power. And then the Persians came into power. And the, the Persians took power and then they lost power. And then in his visions, Daniel would learn that Greece would rise and fall, and then finally Rome would rise and fall. But ultimately, the message of Daniel is that God takes care of those enemies. That these enemies, though they rise and they fall, they're not going to last forever. And so over the course of histories, kings rise and kings fall, and kings rise and fall. And, and through it all, there's, there's a promise that God, that these enemies will not last forever. Now there's another enemy that we see here in this chapter. And this enemy is a subtle enemy. It's an enemy who influences, deceives, and manipulates, and works behind the scenes. A satanic force, a demonic force, what Paul calls the prince of the power of the air. And I'll explain that in a minute here. But I want to say this. A recent study showed that 48% of Australians, I'd actually, this kind of surprised me when I found this stat, 48% of Australians believe in spirits. Another study showed that one in five Americans claim to have seen a spirit. In the global south, places like Africa, Asia, and South America, um, the vast majority of people believe in a spiritual world. And I share this to show that atheism is in the minority. One study estimates that only 7% of the world's population holds to atheism. So as Christians, we, we are very aware that there are supernatural forces at work in this world. And these supernatural forces don't always uh, work in ways that we understand. But what we see in this chapter, bringing it back to this chapter, we see supernatural forces at work in this chapter, and I want to show you that from verse 13. We are told in verse 13 that, um, that, there, is a, that there was a battle occurring between the Persian prince, and he's fighting against the Lord and his angels, and specifically an angel named Michael. Now, is this Persian prince, the question is, is this Persian prince a human or some kind of spiritual force, and people have debated about that, but the majority of, of commentaries say that, that it's referring to a demon, some kind of evil force. And what's being said here is that behind the scenes, a war is happening, a war that Daniel didn't necessarily see with his own eyes, a spiritual battle, a battle that we don't necessarily understand ourselves, a real battle. Now, just because we can't see it doesn't mean that it's not real. I mean, we can't see molecules, we can't see atoms, we can't see radio waves. Just because we can't see those things doesn't mean that they're not real. But what we see here and what we're told here, what's being alluded to here, is that there is a battle taking place behind the scenes as kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Now, this battle is a futile battle. 
It's futile for Satan. It's futile for his demons. It's futile for King Darius and Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh because they are fighting against an almighty God. No one can beat an almighty God. We see it's also a pervasive battle. Now, when we think of demons and we think of spiritual warfare, typically we think of what? Exorcisms. We think of Hollywood movies. We think of how uh, Hollywood portrays spiritual warfare. But in reality, this battle, I think, is, I believe, is more pervasive than we give credit. Because this spiritual battle um, is a battle for the hearts and lives and souls of people. And anytime uh, we battle against sin, we are engaging in spiritual warfare. The fight to hold your tongue is a spiritual battle. The fight against lust is a spiritual battle. The fight against unforgiveness is a spiritual battle. It's a battle for the affections of the heart. Now, chapters 11 and 12, we'll come back to the spiritual battle more in coming weeks. Um, Chapters 11 and 12 talk about the spiritual battle. But what the Son of God wants Daniel to understand about physical battles and spiritual battles in this world is that we are not alone in that fight, whatever that fight is. God fights for his people. Verse 20 tells us that. And we see the most stunning example of God fighting for his people in John 19. In John 19, all the powers of darkness, Satan and all his demons, fought to destroy Christ. Satan fought to tempt Christ. He led Judas to betray Christ. Evil forces influenced Peter to deny Christ. Satan and his demons rallied the crowd to yell, crucify him. They stirred Pilate to condemn him. They inspired soldiers to nail his hands to a cross. Satan and his demons fought alongside the unbelieving hearts of men that Christ would be killed. And, And in John 19, for just a moment, Satan thought that he had won that spiritual battle. And then Christ rose from the dead. And through his death and his resurrection, he crushed Satan. He conquered death. And he rendered sin powerless. And so what I'm trying to point out here is that little statement in verse 20. Christ fights for us. And that's what our text teaches today. Verses 12, 13, 14, and 20 show us that there was this spiritual battle happening 2,500 years ago. And that battle would continue uh, to the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's a battle that continues to this day. And we as Christians are on the winning side. We are on the side of Christ. And it's reassuring to know that we have a protector, that we have a defender, that the, the God who appeared to Daniel with blazing eyes and a blinding body is the same God who fights for us and helps us in our fight against sin through the power of his word and his spirit. And we do fight against sin. And we do fight a spiritual battle, don't we? As Ephesians 4 tells us, your battle is not against flesh and blood, 
and the, and the weapons that we use are the Word and, his, and God's Spirit. Now, as it relates to fear again, when it comes to all of our fears, the fear of death, the fear of debt, the fear of desertion, the fear of disease, the fear of darkness, the fear of demons, we can take all of those fears to this defender, to this um, God who says, you are greatly loved, fear not, I have heard your prayers, and I am fighting for you. Now, that doesn't mean that we will never be confronted by our fears, but it means that God is with us when our fears terrify us. Just as the 23rd Psalm says, uh, our good shepherd walks with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. So we've looked at two points so far. Fear has gripped Daniel. Christ has gripped Daniel. Now let's look at this third and final point. Christ grips us. We are gripped by God. I've been um, often comforted uh, by Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, perhaps. You probably know it, some of you. It's one of those uh, classic Bible verses people have highlighted in their, their Bibles. You can go to Kurong and you can get a little poster, hang it on your wall. And uh, this verse, fantastic verse, reminds us that we are gripped by God. And it says this, Do you not know said Isaiah. Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. And listen to this. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those whose hope is in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You know, through the book of Daniel, we see Daniel from two perspectives. We see, uh, we see in chapter 6, brave and courageous Daniel. Daniel going with courage to the lion's den. But then here in chapter 10, we see a different perspective of Daniel. We see Daniel, who has grown tired and weary. Daniel, who in verse 17, has, his, his uh, strength has been sucked from him. Daniel, who is, um, whose hope is in the Lord and is trusting that the Lord will renew his strength. See, Daniel here in chapter 10, he's exhausted, he's, he's tired of empires rising and falling, he's tired of war, and now he's overwhelmed by this vision of Christ, he is incapacitated, deprived of all strength and power, and God appears to him in his moment of weakness, and look at this, verse 10, verse 16, and verse 18. He touches Daniel three times. He touches his body in verse 10 so that Daniel can stand. He touches his lips so that Daniel can speak. And then in verse 18, he touches him a third time. But this time he touches him with courage and strengthens his spirit. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even 
hundreds of years before he would be born, before he would ever touch the leper or touch um, the paralytic. Jesus touched Daniel and healed him. That's amazing. And then, and then through this touch, we see that Daniel's strength returns to him. And Daniel responds in verse 19. He says this, Speak, my Lord, for you have given me strength. And how important is that? That's, that's our source of strength. The voice of Christ. And Daniel understood it. Speak. That's where my strength comes from. For when the Lord speaks to me, that's when my strength will be renewed. There are two groups of people in this room. There are those who think they are strong, who think they know better, and then there are those who, think, who know that they are weak. There are those who are strong, who are self-sufficient, who are self-confident, and who are self-focused. And then there are those who know that they are weak. And those people are in a much better condition than those who think they are strong. Because in their weakness, they recognize that their strength must come from the Lord. As we stand before Almighty God, as we stand before this God that has been presented to us in Daniel 10, the God who has those blazing eyes and who has that blinding body and who has those bronze feet, we have to recognize that we stand before Him helpless. We have nothing. We must depend on His grace for everything. I mean, isn't that true? We depend on His grace. Uh, we depend on His rain to give water to the crops which give us food. We depend on the air that we are breathing right now to give us life. We depend on good health to keep our hearts breathing, beating. We depend on Him for every good and perfect gift from, that comes from above. There is no such thing as a self-made man. You know, the guy or girl who thinks that they are self-made is deluded. How can we think that we are self-made if God is the giver of every good and perfect gift that comes from above? And so this week, we need to remember these words that were spoken by Daniel. Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. We recognize that any, any, strength, any uh, strength that we have is not come from ourselves, but it comes from the Lord. It comes from God. We are weak, both physically and spiritually. And that's why we need the word of Christ preached to us every week. That it might strengthen our, our soul, that it re might renew our bodies and our souls. We need the word of God to give us confidence and strength to face a world that often terrifies us. So this week, remember the Son of God, the vision of Jesus as he appeared to Daniel with blazing eyes, a blinding body, and bronze feet. He is the one who holds you. He's the one who leads you. And he's the one who helps you in your weakness. May you find comfort and strength from his word tonight.
Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you recognizing our own weakness, and we recognize that you are strong, you are powerful and mighty. Lord, how we need your word to uh, challenge us, but also to comfort us with the, the hope of the good news of Jesus, the hope of the gospel. And so, Lord, would you take this word that has been preached tonight, may you use it to challenge those of us who need to be challenged and to comfort those who need your touch of comfort. We pray this all in Jesus' name.